Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. Hello friends, it's construction time again here at the Constructionist Podcast. My name's Caleb, and we're always talking about building ourselves up, building up our mind, building up our soul, building up our heart, building up our understanding, our knowledge, our discernment, things like that. And I like to use the analogy of buildings because they just fit so well when you have a small little human there, this little baby child, and there's just a massive amount of potential inside that that little kid. And you look at the world around us and you see people in their 70s and 80s, and they've got to the other end of their life. And some of them are living happily, they have a retirement maybe, they're actively involved in their community, they've left a legacy behind them of admiration and honor, things like that. Their kids love them, their family and friends admire them. But then you have people that are in their 70s and 80s and they're sitting in a prison somewhere. And we were, uh, we knew a guy that ended up like that. Here he was in his late 60s and he ended up going into jail, going to prison. Uh, it was very terrible, sad, really wrecked a lot of the community and things like that. And you look at that guy and you think to yourself, here he was, everybody in the area knew him, uh, he was involved in stuff that was going on, and uh, you know people liked him, he was a real amiable guy, and then one day just a whole potload of police showed up and he was arrested and that was it. His entire reputation was destroyed like that. And it made news, not just here, but even in the UK as well, where he had lived for a time. So you look at these two different kinds of people. And you think to yourself, what was built in them? What was it that they, how did they make their decisions? How did they choose to live their life <clears throat> that there would be that kind of difference when you get to the end? Because there's always an end. When you build a building, there's always an end in sight. That house has to get moved into, that company wants to occupy that space. There's always an end in view. And so, One of the things we need to consider as we are building something, I think of these skyscrapers that they have in in, uh, China and Beijing or Hong Kong or New York City. Those are usually the cities that we think about when we talk about skyscrapers. They have to be balanced. You can't, you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa (laughs) gets consistently checked on to make sure it's not gonna fall because it's leaning over, it's not right. It shouldn't be doing that. And so buildings that go up need to go up straight and they need to be balanced. Bridges that go across big spans of rivers. I've driven across the Mississippi River a number of times and I've driven across some of these bridges that have these long spans. They have to be well constructed and balanced. You don't see like lopsided bridges. So these are very important elements to the construction process that things have to be done uh, correctly with the right amount of engineering behind it. Everything is based on the physics and the math and that kind of thing. So what is it about people that 
shoot them off into some weird direction where they end up being wrong. Now, I've instantly said a word that now should, in your mind, trigger an opposite, right. So, wrong and right. If something is balanced, that means that there was an avoiding of an imbalance. If something is imbalanced, that means that they did not strive to get it balanced. Something went wrong. So let's think about that in regard to our minds and how we think about things. It says in Proverbs 11, 1, that God hates an unjust balance or uh, they're an abomination to the Lord. Dishonest scales, it says. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. So if you go to the grocery store and buy bananas or something like that, a pile of grapes, they put it on the little scale and it weighs it and it sells it to you based on its weight. Well, back in the day when they actually did have just scales, there was something that had to be considered a standard, you know, a talent or a, a pound or an ounce or a kilogram had to have, there had to be a standard. And in Paris, there actually is an international uh, body that determines weights and measures and standards. That's what they do. And so, you know, I've, I've even joked with guys uh, at work and I say, what if you have a tape measure that an inch is actually an inch and a half compared to my tape measure? And then, then what do you do? If the scale says that this thing is to one inch equals a foot and you have an, uh, a tape measure that's different than mine because nobody can decide on the standard, then what do you do? You know, that's like one of the, the main things that people carry around on job sites is tape measure. And so they can whip it out and look at the plans and everything's based off that standard. We have to have these things in real life. Otherwise, there can be no meaningful communication, no meaningful means of, of getting across an idea of what something is and where's, what, what's your reference point. Things like this. We use these terms all the time. But then we talk about our mind. And we talk about how we think, and we talk about how we make decisions, and we talk about uh, mental health. Well, if there's mental health, there must be mental unhealth or unhealthy mentality. And so we have to examine these things because these are very important. So let's look at two examples in the Bible of uh, where people have gotten imbalanced and what it's led to. So the first is in Numbers chapter 11. If you read Numbers 11, it's all about the people of Israel who are in the wilderness and they're sick and tired and fed up of this manna. They've been eating this manna and why do we have to have manna? And it's so, I mean, come on, why can't God give us something like meat to eat? We want meat, they say. And so God says, fine, I'll give you meat and you're not going to eat it for just one day or you're not going to eat it for 10 days. You're not going to eat it for, you're going to eat it for 30 straight days until it becomes loathsome to you, is what it says. So all of a sudden, here come piles of quail, loads and loads of quail just everywhere. And people go out and they collect it up and they get mounds of it and they're thrilled to death and they start cooking their quail. And it says that while the meat was still between their teeth, God started striking them dead. So there is this plague that sort of goes through, this judgment sweeps through the whole of the nation. And loads of people die. And it said that they gave in to their craving. And so let me actually read what it says. 
Uh, this is Numbers 11. Right there at the very end, it wraps up the whole thing, like verse 33. While the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed. It's like they took their first bite and their first chew. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of the place was called Kibroth Hatavah, because they were there they were buried the people who had the craving. This is what the English Standard Version says, who had the craving. The uh, New King James says those who yielded to the craving or yielded to craving. So they had a craving. They wanted meat to eat. Now, how many times a day, raise your hand, I don't care where you are right now, if you're driving or on the treadmill or sitting down or walking out and about or whatever it is you're doing, raise your hand right now if you are hungry two or three times a day. Aha, I can see everyone's hands are going up because it's true. Two or three times a day, we get hungry. Now, you may just be hungry and go, man, I'm going to get something to eat. But sometimes you get that craving, don't you? You get that, maybe you're a sweet tooth. I work with a guy that's an insane sweet tooth. Like, I mean, if he even like sees sugar from a distance, he just goes straight to it. It's, it's funny. And we joke about it. But um, some people are a sweet tooth. I'm not particularly a sweet tooth, but boy, I'll go for a bowl of popcorn or, or uh, you know, a, a bowl of corn chips with salsa and sour cream and things like that. I'm more of a savory sort of guy. But if you have a craving and you give in to that craving, that's where you go wrong. So the people here were desperate. They complained against the Lord. And this is where their decision-making and their heart attitude went south. They, nothing's wrong with a craving. Did you know there's actually nothing wrong in and of itself of being tempted? Because the Bible uses the word temptation, but there's a, another connotation to that, which is tested. So a temptation is actually a test. And so the test is put before the person to see what they're made of, to see if they can pass the test. Jesus himself was tempted directly by the devil and he overcame, he passed the test. And so a craving and a temptation are not in and of themselves evil things. They go evil when we yield to them or give in to them or let them overtake us and, and change the way we think and how the decisions we're making. So the problem was is these people had a craving for meat. So you can just see it, can't you? They're sitting around the campfire eating their evening snack of manna. And they're like, you know, we've been eating this stuff for like a couple of years now. I'm getting a little tired of it. God, if God is so great, why can't he give us meat to eat? I mean, it's silly that we have to eat this manna all the time. And somebody else, you've been in these conversations, somebody else says, yeah, yeah, that's right. If God really does love us, he would, he would give us meat to eat. I mean, that's not very good of God, is it? And it just breeds, these conversations breed a kind of attitude of frustration and annoyance. Now, where is this coming from? It's coming from this desire for meat. It's coming from a discontent. It's coming from a place of poor me, or I deserve better, or um, this is just something I want. It's a selfish place, not a place of gratitude and contentment and thanksgiving because the fact is every day they ate 
and God was giving them good and nourishing food every single day. So what does Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. That's what he tells us to pray. We could actually, as humans, live on much less than we think we can. We actually could function at a level uh, of much greater simplicity than most Westerners actually function at. But we get these ideas in our head that we have to have this, that we deserve this, that this is something that we need. Uh, not need, well, we think we need it, we actually just want it. And so they gave in. They moaned and whined, and God finally said, okay, here, have your stupid quail if that's what you want. And he dumped on them, read the passage, he dumped on them a massive load of quail. And, I mean, we're talking like a million people sitting there, or two million people, whatever. The, the actual male population was 600,000. So if you figure another 600,000 women, at the very least, you're talking 1.2 million people, and then throw in a couple kids on top. If there was at least one more kid per every pair of people, then there's another 600,000. Now you're pushing the two million mark. So, that's a, I mean, it takes a lot of quail to feed that many people. But God singled out something to die in this process. He singled out some who probably were the, the, maybe the ones who started all this complaining, and they died because of their craving. Now, we can talk about addiction, people who smoke, people who uh, are alcoholic, just to name two things, people who are sex addicts, people who uh, are prone to gossip, and they run around and just wanna hear the, the, the newest news. People who are addicted to the media, they want to feel like they're in the know and they have the in on what's going on. There's all sorts of different ways that we can be, uh, we can do things that are harmful to ourselves. We often, in the medical world, people often talk about obesity and certain drug addictions and things like that. Those are bad and evil, but it all begins with a person saying or, or thinking, yes, I will take that on. I will bring that into myself. I want to be uh, consuming that thing. But then we need to do the same thing in regards to other, uh, some people are addicted to power. I remember reading about uh, some guy that was a coach of a, um, I think he was an NFL football team or something like that. And he was just, a, he was obsessed with winning every single game. And he would yell at the guys and he was just not a very nice person. But it was because he, he actually admitted, I'm, I had to win the game. And so he would become so infuriated if they lost. And it just, it just affected his entire person. I'm sure if he went home and sat down with his grandkids, they would all think he was fantastic and he would cuddle them and they would have a great time running around, tickling each other or whatever. This is the complexities of the human nature. You have these people that can become so obsessed down this one road and yet to other people who don't see them in that environment they could be perfectly normal everyday people and this is where we need to test ourselves and check ourselves and uh, not annihilate evaluate ourselves to find out where we are so now let's look at another example uh, from mark chapter 5 so if we read mark chapter 5 jesus goes in a boat and he ends up in the country of the, Ger uh, the Gerasenes. Uh, there's debate over where this is, but, but people think... I watched a video of uh, Ray Vanderlyn. He's a very good Bible teacher. Uh, and he goes to this exact place. There's one place on the east side of the Sea of uh, Galilee where there's a very steep hill, or not quite a cliff maybe, but a very steep hill. 
uh, and that has to be the place where this, this took place. Uh, but anyway, don't worry if your Bible says Gerasenes or Gadarenes or whatever. It, there's, a, it, um, there's debate over what the actual word is. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, so the, the condensed version of the story is that Jesus shows up uh, with all of his disciples and they, uh, they show up over there and this un- man with unclean spirit is living out there on the edge of the sea. And he's in a terrible state. He's got no clothes. He does harm to himself. Um, he, he's unruly. He's disgusting. People stay away from him. He's demon-possessed. And so the demon has now consumed uh, his, his being, and he just lives this horrific, sad, sad life. So Jesus shows up, and if you read the passage, you'll find that the... Um, the emphasis is on Jesus and the demon-possessed man. And Jesus casts out the demon-possessed, the, the demon. And it says then, uh, if you get down to verse 15 or so, uh, the, he cast out the demon and then word started to spread in the area because there was a whole bit about the pigs and all that. Uh, and he cast the, the unclean spirits into the pigs because there, there was loads of them. This poor guy had, I mean, lo- loads and loads and loads of demons inside of him. And the pigs all ran down and went into the lake. Now, there's, a, there's sort of a, uh, an idea here about this, the, the lake of fire in the book of Revelation where wickedness and evil goes. And in Revelation 21, it describes this lake of fire and who goes into it. And so the fact that all of these evil spirits went into these unclean animals, which are pigs, and then they all threw themselves is this idea of in the end, when Jesus finally comes and, and eradicates evil from the earth and from, uh, yeah, then all of this will be put into the lake of fire. And so it's kind of a foreshadow of that sort of thing of purging this guy of the evil and casting it a long way away. And so it says that the people who looked after the pigs had run back to the city, and then when they all came back because they heard what happened, the man who had the legion uh, of demons was sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So this word right mind means he was sane. He was, uh, his mind was back to where it should have been. Now, how did he get to that state in the first place? Well, he sort of gave in to um, unnatural spiritual things. And so just as the people in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, gave in to uh, unnaturally to physical things, their attitude was incorrect in regard to what they were eating. This guy's mind and decisions and understanding was all incorrect in regards to the things of the spiritual world. And so that then opened the door for all of these evil spirits to enter him. And he became then possessed by these evil spirits. Now, this is a very, very bad thing when you get so far. Now, in the Old Testament, there were people who died. God struck them uh, and they died. Here in the New Testament, we have the opposite. We have this guy that is basically living almost a life of living death uh, because he's being consistently... um, attacked and oppressed by these demons all the time that have taken over his his soul and jesus comes and casts them all out and then it says he's in his right mind 
and it says he was clothed as well. He had been uh, basically naked, living out in the wilderness, uh, wherever he happened to be by the seaside. But now he was clothed, and there's a whole thing in the Bible about clothing and what it represents and how it is a picture of salvation and all that kind of thing. So that's being sort of alluded to here. But he was in his right mind, and it's amazing to me that when the people of the town show up, they're not happy for the guy, they're actually afraid, and they want Jesus to leave. And so you think, why? Why is this? Why is this? Why are they afraid of someone in their right mind? Why are they afraid of this person who has been made completely whole now? This is a strange reality to the way that we live, where the, the psychology and, and human sciences, sociology, uh, psychology, counseling, all these things, they're trying to help people, and they're trying to help people have mental balance, mental stability, mental health. And yet, if you ignore the power of Jesus as the creator, who can bring about a sound mind or a right mind, you're never going to achieve the mental health that you're seeking. And you're going to think it's strange if someone does have mental health. And it, it won't make sense to you because you as a trained psychiatrist or psychologist who's gone through the Freudian and Jungian and, and whatever else schools of psychology cannot comprehend what this is really all about because it doesn't make any sense to them. And so, now I'm not a psychologically trained whatever, but I'm just reading the Bible. And I'm thinking to myself, huh, this is how the people reacted to this guy, which is kind of sad that they reacted like that because he's now right, which implies that in their wrong way of thinking, they don't see right for being right. They see right as wrong. And they're wrong, but they think they're right. You follow me? So it's a sad state to be in, but it is how God changes people. And it is a bit of a paradox. And I see it all the time, in myself even, uh, and how God has dealt with me, that it's sort of this paradox. When you lay your life down and, in effect, die to certain things, God brings about a resurrection. And he brings about a new life. And it's a beautiful and amazing thing, but it is the way God has now laid things out. So my challenge to you, and what you should now go away and think about for the rest of the week, is how you can examine your thinking and conform it now to the, the boundaries that need to be in place. Here's another one of the paradoxes. If you are to be free, just as Jesus says, the Son of Man can set you free, if you are to be free, freedom requires boundaries. So you would say, well, then it's not true freedom, is it? Oh, but it is true freedom. Because if you had absolute freedom to do anything and everything you want, then you could give in to the craving, end up being demon-possessed. These are the extreme examples. Because you're free to do whatever you want. Well, I'm going to eat that quail. I'm going to stuff that that hot dog in my face. I'm going to shoot myself with that drug. I'm going to smoke that whatever. If you do that, you'll eventually die. That's just the fact of life. You will eventually uh, degrade your body. You will suffer physically and mentally. And in the end, and we all die. You can't stop death. Everybody dies. Even good and righteous people die. But your life will be seriously hindered 
by this thing that you're taking in. And the same is true if you give in to greed, if you give in to power, if you give in to uh, lust, if you give in to, um, you know, the whatever money, if you give in to any of these things and make that your primary goal, your primary thing that, that affects all that you think in your decision making, if you give in to those things and you're not letting Jesus do his work, letting God do the work inside you of sanctification and all that, then you will eventually, you'll be suffering. You'll be paying the price for this kind of thing. So the man was set free and he was clothed and he was in his right mind. And that has huge value to any human who is willing to turn to Jesus and get that from him. But you have to go to him and say, this is my addiction. This is where I'm wrong. This is where I'm imbalanced. I need you to bring the balance. I repent. I forgive me. Whatever that, whatever that takes. Let, your, uh, let God's spirit work in you in that regard. And I think you'll be greatly blessed. So God bless you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.